Well, good morning. Um, hopefully, I'm a familiar face, just in a slightly different place today. Um, my name is Dusty Davis. I'm the children's pastor. And typically, I love being out in the hallways, uh, giving smiles and high fives and hugs, whichever one is your preference. Um, and just, you know, digging into life together out there as we rub shoulders and see what's going on. But today I get the opportunity to open the word of God with you, uh, from up here. And I'm really, really excited about it. Um, we're going to look at a passage today that is just deeply important to me. Uh, it really changed my life. Uh, I owe a lot to Grace Bible Church and the Dallas Theological Seminary, just their commitment to truth, their commitment to Jesus Christ. Um, I grew up in a, a family that my parents are believers, and uh, I knew the gospel and was saved at age seven and baptized at 12, and just really thankful for the family that I grew up in. Uh, we were also a really competitive family. Um, my dad played football and wrestled in high school and went on to wrestle at, at OU, and my mom was a a letterman in track from seventh grade on and went on to be a rangerette at Kilgore Junior College. And so our life was pretty filled with just constant competition. Uh, there was a time early when Amanda and I were dating where we went on a date to Denny's. It was early, so nothing too fancy. <laughs> and as we're outside and we're waiting, um, my family were just doing our thing. I didn't realize at the time it was pretty overwhelming to Amanda. We're waiting in line and we're like, well, who can do three cartwheels without stopping? And who can jump over that flower bed? And who can jump over that rail with only one step? Or who can crawl under that rail without touching the ground? And just constantly, you know, who, who can jump that? So we go in to sit down and Amanda's finally like sighing a breath of relief. Like, okay, good. We're past that. And my sister grabs a sugar packet and says, I bet I can flip it closer to the edge of the table than you. And so that was just our life. It was just constant, constant competition. Uh, and all of my life really taught me that the way to excellence is through performance. Uh, I played sports year-round growing up, and I learned real quick. Uh, the better you play, the more you see the field. And the better you play on the field, the quicker you become captain. And then everybody likes you, right, in the, in the, in the classroom. The better I do on grades, the more the teachers like me, the easier school becomes. Then I become salutatorian and you get scholarships. And so, man, performance is great, right? Even in like popularity, you're nice to people. They like you, you're in the yearbook more, you know, like all of life just bred performance. And so as a believer, I carried a lot of that into my walk, into what I thought it meant to live out being a Christian. And, uh, I remember, man, it was probably Nine years ago, I was walking between the uh, fireside room and the fellowship hall. And one day, this, this burden just lifted off of me. And I remember thinking, I don't have to do anything. I am who I am, and I'm accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. And it was powerful. And you know, this church teaches Grace-based theology, grace-based salvation. And I used to think, ah, is it really that different? Like, I think we're just kind of splitting hairs here. But the more that I've walked in it and the more that I've 
come to know more richly and deeply what it is, the more I am so thankful that that's what's taught. So the passage I picked uh, that we're going to walk through is from Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn there. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a guy, it's a letter that I really connect with, Galatians, because it's Paul. And he is a very, uh, he's very personal and very passionate in this letter. And those are probably top two of the words that describe me. If I'm going to do something, I'm going all out. And if I can take someone with me, I enjoy it even more. And so what we see is Paul had traveled through the region of Galatia on one of his journeys. And he'd come to these pagans who were idolaters and, and were just in slavery to, to their ignorance and to the gods that they worshipped. And he came through and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they believed. And they were saved and given new life and began to walk in Christ. And then later, Paul receives a message that they're going back to slavery. They're going back to systems of works. Because there, there, there are Jews who have come in and said, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be a part of the family of God... Well, there's this thing, you got to do circumcision, and then there's these feasts and festivals, and um, th- those are going to be part of the package too, if, if, if you want to be in the family of God. And so Paul is angered, he's, he's incited, he's like, no, that's not it. And so that's kind of the, the heartbeat of why this, this letter was written. And in chapter 5, we're getting to where uh, he, he's relayed out the gospel, he's re- relayed out his authority as uh, an apostle, and now he's telling them, you've been saved. Now, how do we move forward not placing ourselves back under systems uh, of work, systems of legalism? And so starting in one, he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, Say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view but the one who is, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish, wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. So you see a little passion. It might have gone a little far, but that's Paul. He's passionate about this. He, the whole point is you've been set free. You now have a choice. Don't go back into slavery. He details that a little bit. Uh, the chapter before Galatians 4, 8, and 8 through 10, he says, However, at that time, 
When you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. So Paul's coming to them and he's saying, you've tasted freedom. You have a choice now. These guys are coming in. They're saying there's these things that you need to do. And I'm telling you that that's not true. Don't go back to it. Not just because it's, it's worthless. Not just because it's busyness, but because it's dangerous and it's detrimental to your walk with Christ. He says, if you go back to this, you've been severed from Christ. You've fallen from grace. And he's not talking about their salvation. He's talking about their daily living. You, you, you can't have grace, a free gift that you walk in, and say, well, I'm going to go do these things by myself. They're, they're, they're incompatible. So you either get to walk in grace Walk with Christ. Or you get to go, hey, I got this. I'm good. I'm going to go out on my own. And he's just imploring them not to do that. So the foundation that everything is built on, on how they should move forward, all starts with keep standing firm. Keep standing firm. And what he wants them to stand firm in is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you want to turn to Galatians 2, I've got it up here if it's easier to read in Galatians 2 he Peter shows up and at first Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles and he's saying yes faith in Jesus Christ is all that's required he's eating with them he's hanging out with them but then some people show up that are Judaizers and they're like "Mm, we're not allowed to eat that we're not allowed to do that And, and and Peter starts to pull back and so you see that Starting in, let's start in verse 11. But when Peter, Cephas, Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So Peter's a pretty influential guy. 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Now he says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, But through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So I think you picked up maybe on what he's getting at. Faith in Christ Jesus, believed in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ. That's the hallmark. That's the cornerstone. And I think early in my life, I got that. I, I understood that, that I was saved by Jesus, my faith in Jesus and not what I do. But I, I don't think I understood the extent 
of what justification, what salvation meant about who I was now. So what all comes with it? Well, the forgiveness of sin, we all get that one. That one gets talked about a lot. Matthew 26, 28. My blood is the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Usually the other one that we, we quickly get is eternal life. Romans 6, 23. If anyone is in, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. But there's so much more. We're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We were dead. We were separated from the giver and sustainer of life. And he, by his spirit, comes and lives inside of us. That's amazing. Uh, we are adopted as sons. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. God sent his son to redeem those under law that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Riches to come. Ephesians 2. In Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places. <laughs> in Christ, we are there to receive surpassing riches of his grace in his kindness in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, I think the one that most blows me away, we receive the righteousness of Christ. So Ephesians 3, or Philippians 3, sorry. Uh, Paul says, this is, I love this, Paul. I mean, he lists out, all of these things that he's done that he could boast in. And then he comes and he says, I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For I am suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. This, this is huge. It's not that we're just forgiven and we get to have eternal life. We become sons of God. We become heirs of riches to come. We, we take on the righteousness of Christ. There, so like I'm saved. There's no more righteousness for you to gain. Like, you can't be more righteous than the righteousness of Christ. It is finished. The work is done. You've gone from dead and completely unacceptable to alive and completely acceptable. From that point forward, no matter what you do, you're not going to gain any more of God's love, and you're not going to lose any of God's love. That's the foundation. That's what Paul is urging them to stand strong in. Keep standing Firm. So standing on that, he moves into don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And don't go back to systems of, of performance. Don't go back to finding your worth in what you do. And so we call that legalism. Uh, that's an easy word. And so to put a definition on it, I actually sniped this from Brian. Brian developed this definition many years ago. And I wrote it down and, you know, I tweaked it very, very little, but it's, it's pretty much his. And so it says, attempting to achieve a relationship with God or grow in Christ's likeness through effort independent from the finished work of Christ and the empowering work of his spirit. 
And the truth of the matter is, that's what we're all bent toward. Grace isn't reasonable. Grace doesn't make sense. So we receive a gift that we don't deserve with no strings attached. And honestly, it makes us a little uncomfortable. It's, it, it, it's like when you go to Christmas and you get this gift and it's amazing and it's awesome. And you're like, what can I give you? <laughs> can I get you some food? Like, I don't, there's just something in us that, that feels like we need to repay or we need to own up or we need to earn it. And that's what Paul's saying. Resist this. And so as we work through this, Paul is giving some reasons and some ways to break free from our legalistic bent, our legalistic tendencies, and to remain strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so if you'll read verses 2 through 5 with me, they say, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. So what I see him saying here is we we have to move from a, a mindset of flesh to a mindset of faith. God, you saved me. That was by grace. That was in Christ. There was nothing that I deserved, and that's awesome. And now, God, I'm going to go and work this thing out. I'm going to go and mature and become more like you. And, and, and Paul's saying it doesn't work that way. If you do that, you rob yourself of the joy and the riches that come from resting in grace. And you separate yourself from walking with Christ. I think, you know, God deals with me in really simple ways. And this one really started to click with me when Judah, our our two-year-old, was learning to walk. I had always seen God as this distant um, evaluator who was consistently disappointed in me. You know, I had a youth pastor one time tell me, Jesus gave his whole life for you. You should give your whole life for him. I wish I had had enough maturity at that point to say, yeah, you're right, but that's ridiculous. You know, if I was even feeling a little sassy, I could have flipped over to 613 and said, you know, for those who are circumcised, they don't even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. You know, you should give your whole life to him. Hey, how are you doing in that, buddy? Because that was my mindset. That's what I took off to do. I'm going to give my whole life. But then bringing it back, Judah, learning to walk. He's trying to walk and, you know, he's a toddler and he he goes a little and he stumbles and falls. He goes a little, he stumbles and falls. And God just kind of prompted my heart and he said, man, how do you feel about Judah? He keeps stumbling and falling. I'm like, what do you mean, God? Like, I'm all in for him. Like, if he needs to be brushed off, I'm there to do that. If it's going to be a hard fall, I'm going to catch him. If there's something up ahead that I know he can't really get over, I'm going to move that. If there's something up ahead that he can do and he needs to get over it, I'm going to allow that. And God, God said, yeah, that's, that's me. 
And it, it hit really hard. It really, you know, singing, you're a good, good father. You love us. You're never going to let us down. I think that's when it really, really set in and I believed it. He wasn't just this God who was going, you're still not giving all. That's all you got? Or, or I'm, I'm, I'm falling in a sin struggle. Again, bro? Come on. You got to be kidding me. No, I didn't. That wasn't my heart at all. Judah, you're falling again. No, my desire was that he would walk well. That was my heart. And that's God wants from me. But it was, to, it was together. I was for him. I, Judah could have said, you know what, dad? I got this. You, you just leave me alone. You brought me into the world. Now I'm going to figure it out. And that's largely what I did. Thanks for saving me, God. Now I'm going to go put it, put it into practice. So, so moving from flesh to faith, realizing that we're not independent of God out to do it on our own, but we're resting in grace. We're walking with Christ's spirit inside of us, and we depend on him. Judah wasn't saying, God, Dad, I got all my own techniques. I already know how to do this. He's going, Dad, teach me. Walk with me. Next in Galatians 5, 6, he goes on to say, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. What what I see being compared there is is law and love. And, And I relate that to what's what's my motivation? What's my focus? So once again, very simple. God reveals to me marriage. Uh, You know, someone's getting married and they come to me and I'm like, you know what? You want to be a successful husband. Here's what you need to do. You need to take out the trash. You need to do the dishes. um, Bring flowers about once a week and say I love you at least three times a day. And if you do that, man, you're going to be a successful husband. You know, truth is, if we did that, it'd probably go pretty well. But the problem is... It has nothing to do with who our wife is. I can do all of that and and not even matter who she is. There is no love. It's just some requirements that I'm going to go and do and say, hey, that's good. And I think what what Paul is saying is it's it's not the acts that you do at all. It's the love. The, the, The motivation is that you get to know her and you draw near to her. And you do things that are pleasing to her. You know, when I, when I thought about my spiritual life, I was definitely uh, just the list. Growing up, man, I was competitive. I, you know, you got things, you got to do them. You do them well, you rise to the top. And so if you had if you'd asked me, you know, how's your spiritual walk? Man, I'm knocking it out of the park. Bible, psh, at least 30 to 45 minutes a day. Prayer, well, you know, a solid 15. Worship. Man, I got three different worship bands I'm streaming right now. Every time I'm in the car, I'm on the bike, I'm worshiped out. Evangelism, you know, I'm going to the quad. I'm going to the the academic plaza. At least two people a week I'm sharing the gospel with. Serving, yeah, I'm at the soup kitchen and I'm I'm over at the the food pantry. So that's good. Stewardship, well, I don't have much, uh, but I'm giving at least 10% of it. Fasting, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, not long, but I'm doing it. And then... 
you know, silence and solitude, well, that one went out the window when I had young kids. But <laughs> seven out of eight is not bad. Man, I'm just knocking it out of the park. And you know what? I, did, I didn't say one thing about the God that I'm supposed to be in relationship with. My motivation is this set of things that I need to do and I need to become and I need to master and I need to be an expert in. And it doesn't matter who the God is that I'm supposed to be doing this for, doing this with. I, I kind of hope that today if someone asked me, there would be answers more like, well, you know, I'm just really broken for the lady who keeps showing up in the park that's homeless and brushing her wig. And, you know, I've noticed that, you know, one of my coworkers just seems really stressed out and, and frustrated lately. And I just wonder, you know, how can I be a blessing to them? You know, I just, I just feel like I'm kind of going through the motions right now and just trying to gain knowledge in my Bible time. So I, I really just, man, I, I want to bring that back to knowing God and, and, and growing deeper in God. So it can be more about love and less about law. Lastly, um, if you look in verse 13, Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So what I see here is uh, an urge to move from focusing on my kingdom to focusing on his kingdom. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for yourself, for your flesh, but through love, serve one another. Um. When I was out working really hard and I was doing all the things I was told I needed to be doing, I I expected some return on my investment. And I honestly used to get really frustrated that I wasn't experiencing more fully the fruits of the Spirit. Like, where is the patience? Where is the gentleness? Where where is the love? I'm busting my tail out here and I'm checking off all the marks and it's not happening. So, okay, uh, then I'll look to the rewards that are coming in the future, right? We live faithfully, and then there's these rewards in the future. The problem with that is it doesn't say a whole lot about what they are or exactly what we do or how much to get them. So now there's like this carrot out there that I'm chasing that I want to get in the future, but, gee, I don't even, I don't have a lot of confidence that I even know what I'm going to get or how I get enough of them. And so the shift there is, to not look so inwardly at, at, at what, do I, what do I get out of this, but to begin to look outwardly at his kingdom. And one of the ways God really brought this to light was through my son Caleb. We were on our way to, we were on our way to school one day, and he was saying his morning prayers. And part of his prayer was, God, please help me to be kind today. And it just, the Lord just kind of prompted me to ask, uh, hey, Caleb, why do you want to be kind And he said, well, that's what we have to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And the hairs on my neck just kind of stood up because I was like, oh, no. Like, that was my whole life. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. And so we were able to kind of talk through together. 
No, that's, we don't be kind because we have to. We be kind because as we draw near to God and we spend time with God, he transforms us to be more like him. And we become more kind. And then as we go out and be kind, we're not being kind so that we can be known as kind and do what we should be doing. We be kind so that through our interactions, others can better know the character of God. Someone can walk away from an interaction with me and because of the Holy Spirit and his transformational work in my life, they can better know the character of God through their interaction with me. As, as, as I become more about God's kingdom and about his heart of, of love and service and blessing, my neighbors on my street begin to get a taste of what the kingdom of God will be like. And they're drawn, man, that's, that tastes good. I'm, that's, I'm drawn to that. What's going on here? So it, it becomes a, a response of the work that God's doing in our life, not some expectation or requirement that we just do because, well, we have to. We're supposed to. God said so. I, 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 I want to read a passage here um, as we are wrapping up from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I feel like it, it very powerfully captures the life that is lived in faith and in love and about God's kingdom. And, and Paul writes, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So my question today is, are there areas where you have willingly placed yourself back under slavery, where performance has become your measuring step, stick, your motivation, to be honest, it's, it's not like a, a black and white, we solve this problem and don't go back to it. It's going to be a constant swinging. But to stand firm, when you, when you realize, man, I, I, I'm, I'm putting myself back under these restrictions, to step back and to remind yourself to stand firm on the foundation. It's Jesus Christ alone. And to walk forward in partnership and independence on the spirit that you may enjoy a life of love and then it, it becomes transformational. Dave Anderson's a pastor and author and I love what he said here. He said, our sanctification is not an act of reformation of our own effort, but a transformation by the spirit who indwells us.
And so to me, the answer is to be reminded of the work of Christ and to draw near to God that as we walk with him, he transforms us and we become those distant models of maturity that we all desire to be. So the the band has joined us today. Uh, We're going to close by singing a song that is called Build My Life. I, I feel like it just declares these truths. It says, there's no one like you. I will put my trust in you alone. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. If you'll stand with me, let's just declare this as we close today.